Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Welcome back, and hello, greetings. Yeah. It's uh, Thursday, August 10th. It is Thursday, August 10th. I can confirm. I'm looking right at my phone right here. August is two hands now. Two it's, hands. It's double digits. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Because yes. it's not nine, now it's 10. Fun fact. Yep. At the end of this year, the date will be one, two, three, one, two, three. Huh. Man, people are going to predict that Jesus is going to come back on that I, I was going to say it, but I'm glad you did first. Now that you've endorsed it, hey, we're going to meet together for a prayer meeting. We're going to welcome Jesus back on Bring one, your two, three, foil one, two, and uh, <laughs> learn kumbaya in tongues. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, there wasn't any tongues at our worship service no. on Sunday. No, I just but it did go clear. well. It did go, go well. Yeah, we, we and there was no prophecy that. like Saul either. There was no prophecy. You kept your clothes on. I was very proud of you. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> just... True story. It wasn't a struggle. It wasn't a struggle. It was easy. It was, I mean, it's just, I don't mean to flex, but it was easy to keep my clothes on. on that I one. was looking for that big old tub of Gatorade we that we could pour on you after this service. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't find it though. You're in your, and hey, that's good for you. Cause I, if I did, right. I was going for the coffee. <laughs> I thought, you know what? <laughs> Not today. Ah. All right. Hey, Psalm 88 and 89 today. Man, Psalm 88, a couple of observations right off the bat. Emo. Did, did you notice the guy at the bottom of, of the superscription who wrote it? Did you ever watch this show growing He-Man? up? He-Man. Yeah, He-Man. <laughs> I, I just thought He-Man was his total emo. Like he had long hair and black eyeliner. Because this psalm doesn't ever, like it doesn't have a happy note at all. It's no. just all sad. I, I think this, I think Job snuck this in and like wrote Sons of Korah next to it. <laughs> just to try to get like, come on guys, like, look, in. here, in. this is what it's really like. It wasn't good enough they had a whole book of the Bible. Right. In fact, if you look in, in your your Faith Life Study Bible, it says that this one's unusual. It calls it an unusually despairing psalm uh, because he doesn't because get to the, but I will trust in God. There's no resolution. I will hope in God. Doesn't have a victorious note. Or even just a confidence note, right? No, no it's just, I'm just sad. I'm yeah. a sad God, and here you go. Yeah, I cry out. And, and notice one, one of the things that's repeated here, the themes, he's just continually going to the Lord, asking God, I cry out to you day and night in verse one, uh, verse nine, every day I call upon you. I spread my hands out to you. And so really in Psalm 88, he's just lamenting the fact that God is silent in the midst of suffering that he knows is from God. Uh, you verse six, you have put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You verse eight have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. So he knows that his suffering is at the hand of God, or at least that's what he believes mm. or trusts at this point. And he's calling out for God to deliver him. And there's just silence on the other end. I think what's cool about this Psalm, if I can, if I can extract something positive from it, um, I, I'm willing to bet that most of the people listening to this are probably not going through a season like this. Yeah. Their suffering might be comparatively lesser or smaller, but notice how God has been faithful even in, in He-Man's life. Haman, I don't know how to say his name, but He-Man, God has been faithful to him. And granted, we don't have another companion psalm that tells us, hey guys, by the way, everything worked out okay. Mm-hmm. But the very fact that it's here in scripture probably testifies pretty clearly that things did work out for for this guy. Things did eventually turn around. And even if that turnaround was his inevitable death and, re- and union with Christ or union with God be- before Christ had existed in the flesh, 
that's the end of the story. Whatever your story is, whatever struggle and suffering you're going through, I think you should look at someone like He-Man and say, you know what? God got him through it. He can get me through it. I can, I can wrestle well because I know God is faithful even in He-Man's life. You did not think that we were going to talk to you about He-Man this morning when you turned on the, the podcast. Did you ever watch Little Rascals? He-Man, Woman Haters? Woman Haters Club, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, then there was that action figure that like... Yeah, the, and the stretch arms. Kind of, yeah, yeah. It was He-Man. Yeah. Uh, one Bible study note here that might be helpful for you. Uh, in verse 1 and 2, he's crying out, right? And let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. And then look at verse 3, that first word there, four, okay? Prepositions are super important for us to pay attention to when we're studying the Bible. And mm-hmm. here's an example of, of why. Because you might read the first two and say, okay, well, what's going on in his life? Why is he crying out? Why is he so desperate? That word four, it signals this is the purpose. This is the why, behind what he's doing. Or sometimes you'll read in your your Bibles, in order that, or so that. Those are important phrases. They seem small and insignificant because no one's building theology on a preposition, and yet so much theology hinges on the prepositions. Mm -hmm. And so as you're studying your Bibles, pay attention to the prepositions. Those are important clues as to how we interpret a text or a passage. So what kind of helpfulness can we derive from verse 3 and verse 4, I suppose, because it's probably together? Well, I mean, he explains it's, it's why am I crying out? Because the, the reason is my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to shield. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. So is he physically dying then? Is that what we could, should learn from this? I, that's a Seems potential. Like yeah. That's a potential of verse four for sure. If nothing else, he's, he, he's wrecked right at this point. Yeah. I think what we can draw away from this by application is, man, when we're in that position as well, what should we do? We should go to the Lord. We should cry out to the Lord. We need to to entreat him and go before him. Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is a long one, right? I mean, super long. Yeah, super long. Uh, But in Psalm 89, the, the psalmist remembers the Davidic covenant throughout here and is calling on God to keep his promises contained therein accordingly. Yep. So he's uh, going back. There's some that, that think this is post-exilic. There's some that think that this is during the exile. I- anyways, the, the psalmist is asking God, hey, God, you promised these things to David, and I'm calling on you to act in accordance with your faithfulness to your promises and to your word. Um, note that's uh, that's worth paying attention to in verses 33 through 37. Uh, notice the, the focus on Israel. It says, but I will not remove my, from him, from Israel, from David, my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. Okay. So those that believe that the church has replaced Israel, these are passages that, that would apparently contradict that, right? If God is not going to be false to his promise to David, that there is still a future Davidic king, we know him as Jesus, that's going to come and rule and reign for all of, all of uh, eternity, that the Davidic covenant is still in act um, for Israel. I will not violate my com- covenant. Uh, I've sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. And so passages like this and others, others more specifically, we'll get to it, Zechariah 14 and others, there are very specific promises for Israel that show us that God still has a plan for his people Israel. Yeah, I guess quick note on that. Some people would suggest that the church is the fulfillment of Israel. Israel does receive her covenant promises through the church's newfound identity in Christ. And we would say, based on what you're looking at here, it doesn't seem like on on the face of it, at face value, that God intends for us to understand these promises in that way. Later on, we're going to read that Paul's going to say the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable or irrevocable, depending on how you want to pronounce that. But we look at passages like this and we would say it doesn't seem to really catch the essence of what God is trying to communicate here. It seems like he has a real promise to a real people called Israel. 
Yeah, and just reading through this psalm again, another thing that we've talked about before in this is, is it okay for us to, because it seems like like he says in verse 49 or verse 50, remember, O Lord, Lord, where's your steadfast love by which your faithfulness, you in your faithfulness, you swore to David. Is it okay for us to, I mean, it seems almost borderline imperative commands to God. And, and we've talked about the fact that the psalmists are, are not commanding God to do something other than to act in accordance with who he is and what right. he's already promised. And his promises, is right. And so Christian, it's good for us to to claim the promises of God that are Uh-oh. ours to claim. Uh-oh. That are ours to claim. Okay. That's why I said that, right? Um, and to to trust in him, right? Even, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. we talked about that recently. For God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. That's a promise of God, that one that we can claim, not so that you get the promotion like we talked about, but it's okay for you going through the, the trial, going through the desert, going through the valley to, to say, God, you are working all things together for good. Please show me how you're doing that. Reveal that to me. Cause these things to work together for my good. You're not asking him to do anything other than what he's already promised to do. And that's what we see in these Psalms as well. How does someone know what promise to claim versus what promise to say, oh, that was just for this people or the Israel versus, you know, like uh, one of the common ones here is, um, I don't know, the one in Jeremiah, Jer- Jeremiah 17. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Thoughts to, uh, I forget how Jeremiah says it. But, oh, 29.8? Oh, that's the one. Yeah. 20, yeah, not 33. Yeah. 29, uh, Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you right exactly you. right and what we understand is that 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 wasn't directed to christians that was directed to to israel right during a certain period of time so how do we know what to take as our own to claim as our own in our prayer time versus what to say oh that was for those people i think well first if for example jeremiah 29 context is huge so anytime that we're tempted to say okay i want to should I pray this promise? Is this promise for me? Examining what's happening around that passage is really good and really wise. So in Jeremiah 29, the, the, there's memes out there that make light of the, the believer that's, that's claimed that and said, oh, that's my life verse. And it's like, oh, okay. So have you also claimed the part where you're about to go into exile and you're going to spend 70 years in captivity? <laughs> the verse before, and, yeah. Right. Verse Which, 10. Yeah. So if you look right before that, then there's this concept of like, oh man, okay. Yeah. That, God's talking to Israel about a specific place. Now, does that mean that that's not true? That God doesn't have good plans for his people and for the church? No, I, I think he does. But is that what that passage is saying? No, that you can't drive that from that passage. What do you do with other promises? You know, again, context is good. Second thing is, and we've stressed this to you before, but getting some good resources, good study materials, good study Bibles, where you can look that verse up in a study Bible and get from a good and trusted commentator, oh, uh, yeah, okay, this is what that was referring to. It was referring to this situation or that place or that time. We've talked about different study Bibles that are out there. Uh, MacArthur Study Bible is going to be good and give you a lot of notes from a dispensational perspective. Um, the English, the ESV Study Bible, also helpful. It's going to give more covenant perspective than the than some of the others out there will. NIV Study Bible is a, a good one. Uh, Faith Life Study Bible is a good one. Those are all helpful. And if you've got questions, I would say the third thing to do is reach out to one of your pastors and say, hey, can you help me understand this verse? I, I want to wrap my, my mind around it, my head around it a little bit more and know, is this verse for us or is this verse for Israel? Is this, wh- how do I understand this? What do we do with this? I'm going to text you every day, Pastor PJ. And every ask passage, me? Yeah. Or here's another option. <laughs> you can go to personalizedbible.com and they will put your name into 7,000 verses do of the Bible. Don't do it. Don't for the low price it. of $139. And then go look up just for, 
your laugh of the day, the Pigeon Bible. The Pigeon Bible. The Pigeon That's on uversion.com, I believe. Yes. And the app, I guess. If you yeah. have the app, it's on both of them. Oh, but man. yeah, you could go to that one for yucks, and then you can also go to personalizedbible.com. Don't do that. I, I, don't buy it. I don't think you should buy it, but it is kind of interesting. I, mean, I know the plans I have for Rod. Look at John. Oh, look at, okay. Alexis Kelly Kimball's identity in Christ. Alexis is valuable. That's the heading on this passage here. Alexis is God's daughter. Alexis is part of the new, okay. This is interesting. Okay, I'm down a rabbit trail. Don't get the Bible. We don't recommend that, but do look at it (laughs) to see what's out there, man. This is why the Bible is dangerous because so many people can twist it to different ends that are just unhelpful, maybe well-intentioned, but ungodly at the end of the day. Well, and then the question is, is it the Bible anymore? That's true. Right. That's a fantastic point. Is that taking application too far? We would probably say yes, so. Yeah, yes, 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 we would. Well, hey, let's go to Romans 10. Romans 10. Is this going to be as long as yesterday? Well, it's not going to be as heavy as yesterday. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Paul is continuing with his lamenting over what's going on in Israel in Romans 10. And uh, this is an important statement he makes in verse 2 when he says, I bear them witness, okay, the Israelites, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Okay, so he's saying, look, they're passionate about God. And that's important for us. Sometimes we can categorize believer and unbeliever into those that, you know, believers are those that, that are passionate about God and, and would say they love God and they, they, they want to be uh, around his people and they want to know him. And then everybody else hates God. Mm. Well, that, that's, that's not necessarily true. Here you have people that are by Paul's own testimony in the beginning of chapter nine, unsaved. And yet he's saying they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. It's misplaced. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they seek to establish their own. Again, what's the problem? They're trying to find their righteousness apart from trust in Jesus, apart from substitutionary atonement. They're trying to find their own righteousness by the law. But verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Those two words are important. It's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, we're not trying to abide by the law in order to gain our righteousness anymore because Christ put that pursuit to an end. The Jewish people haven't realized that yet. Then he goes on and says, he gives this, this uh, point about Moses. And so he's saying, okay, so then is the answer, just to kind of sum up here, is the answer far away? And that's where he gets into this idea of do not say who will ascend into heaven or who will send into the, the abyss. In other words, don't, don't think that there's some extra revelation or something else that you need beyond what's already been provided for you in order to find out, okay, then how can I be made right with God? And then he, that's where he goes on to say, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith that we proclaim, AKA the gospel. He's saying the answer is in the gospel. You don't need another, you don't need to ask God to send another revelation from heaven, or you don't need to descend into the abyss to bring it up. You have the gospel and therein contains the message of salvation. Because if you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he goes on with a heart. One believes and is justified with the mouth. One confesses and is saved. Pastor Rod, literally. Okay. So does that mean I, I actually have to, what am I confessing? What does that mean? I get with the heart one believes, but what is the mouth component of that? So when we're looking at the scripture here, look at the entirety of verse nine, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, uh, think about the context in which Romans is written. You're confessing something that violates the standard ethic of the day. Caesar is Lord. So to say something like Jesus is Lord in your confession, you're acknowledging the reality, you're agreeing with God that Jesus is true king, he's true Caesar, he's true Lord of all the earth. You're making a, a statement of allegiance, of life allegiance, and even saying, I, politically, I align with him. Spiritually, I align with him. Jesus is Lord. 
He is the kurios. He's the one who oversees it all. He's the true leader of humanity. He's the true deity. So to say you're confessing, is to, it's a loaded statement. It's not Jesus is Lord, three words, and that's it. We're, just, we're saying something comprehensive. We're acknowledging Jesus is the king of the universe. He is the one to whom every knee should bow and every tongue confess, uh, Philippians chapter 2. He's the one who's going to be acknowledged eventually. Maybe not in, in this life soon, but eventually that's the case. So when you think about this, see it in the context of who Paul's writing to, Rome, and understanding it that it's, Caesar's not Lord here. Jesus is Lord. And he goes on, he says, everyone who believes in him, this is the scripture says this, will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Remember, again, we have to remember the context of Romans. Paul is writing all about what is the relationship of both Jew and Greek to the law. And he's saying the the law for neither one is going to lead to salvation. There's got to be something else. And it's this idea of confessing and believing for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek when it comes to these things for Christ is the Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mm. Okay. Pastor Rod, you asked the question yesterday. Then why bother? Why bother? If election is true, if God is fully sovereign over salvation and here's, uh, I'm going to put my cards on the table. I believe that it is. I, I believe that is biblical. I believe because of passages like Romans nine and Romans eight, the, the t- verse 30 and, and other passages, Ephesians chapter one, I, I think the concept of, I, I don't think, I believe, I have a conviction that the concept of election and predestination are true. I think they're biblical doctrines. So what do we do then as believers? How do we not fall prey to the, the straw man argument that's often raised against people in positions like ours that would say, well, then why bother evangelizing? If people are predestined and they're elect and they're going to go to heaven no matter what, why bother evangelizing? Romans 10 answers that question right now. Because he goes on to say this, how are they going to call? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, we believe that the elect are those that are going to call on the name of the Lord. But how? How are they going to call on the name of the Lord? Well, how are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to believe if they've got to believe before they're going to call? How are they going to believe if they've never heard about him? And if they have to hear about him before they believe and before they can call, how are they going to hear unless someone preaches? And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? Verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So here's the deal. God in his sovereign plan for the salvation of the elect has chosen to use you and me as his instruments to deliver the message that he activates in the hearts of the unbeliever to cause them to come to faith in Jesus. So you and I are part of God's plan to bring salvation to those that he has chosen, the elect, the predestined, and he is using us in that process to bring about their faith. They're not going to wake up and have a light bulb all of a sudden one day and go, okay, I believe the gospel. I repent. I trust in Jesus as my savior. They need to hear about it. And God is using you and I to do that. And, and look it, here's the thing. This is where it goes back to what we talked about yesterday. We don't know who is elect and who's not elect. So it's not like we've got a roster of people in our neighborhood that we need to go knock on their door and say, we've got to share the gospel with you because God told me you're elect. That would be helpful. I guess it would also be crushing. Can you yeah, imagine to know awful. those that aren't? I, I resend my my statement. I mean, that would be awful. Y- y- and that, and that's y'all. That's the freedom. And that's why uh, so often my retort to the Charmian argument of then why bother evangelism evangelizing is is we're more free to do this than the person that thinks it's all free will. Because the person who thinks it's all free will, man, it's on that person sharing the gospel with that that person to convince them, persuade them that they need to believe in Jesus. And if they don't, then they've failed. 
then, then they haven't been convincing enough and they go mm-hmm. back carrying that person's eternity on their shoulders yeah. instead of going, okay, I don't know who is and who's not, but I do know that the power that activates this is not me, it's God. Yeah. And so we get to go and scatter the seed along the path as, as far and wide as we possibly can. And we know that God is the one that's going to activate this. So we see in Romans chapter 10 that there is a response necessitated. It's yes. not simply that God elects people and suddenly from all of creation, true. when they're born to, the, to they die, they're always elect. And that's true that they possess that election, but God's going to ensure that they do properly respond to that election. I think one thing I noticed at the beginning of chapter 10 that I think is important for us to notice together is that the zeal not according to knowledge gives us some indication that there's lots of sincere people out mm-hmm. there who are zealous for their religion and, and maybe in, in a way that could in some ways be larger than yours. They have a right. greater zeal. They work harder. In fact, I know a lot of Mormons who are, um, they call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they don't like to be called Mormons any longer. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Those people that knock on the doors, they have the name tags, elder so-and-so. They're very sincere. They're, they're very kind people, and they, they mean it, and they're willing to stake two years, if they're males, or a year and a half if they're females, two years of their lives on the line to say, I really believe in this. They leave their family behind. They submit to the rules of the church. They, they're willing to do so much. Their sincerity is evident. Mm-hmm. But Paul makes it clear here. Lots of people can be sincere. The, the Israelites were sincere. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I hope that in some way tenderizes your heart toward mm-hmm. the plight of those who are indeed sincere about their religious system and yet are sincerely wrong. They must respond to Christ and Christ alone, the real Christ of Scripture, and not the Christ of their imagination, not a Christ of a, of a cult, which of which there are many. Let this move you and stir you to pray yet again for your loved ones, your neighbors, those you know who are nearby, who are in those cults, pray for them and then reach them with the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Another note on the response that you talked about uh, there earlier, Pastor Rod. I, I think it's it's helpful for us to to explain. Scripture holds two things in parallel uh, about our salvation that seem to run counter to one another in our minds, and that is this: as as I've I've been hammering somewhat heavily in in chapter nine and chapter ten, God is a hundred percent sovereign over our salvation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So scripture teaches that. And we've been talking about that in the last couple of podcast episodes where the Bible has been laying that out for us in the last couple of podcast episodes. So that's one side of it. But then the other side of it that the Bible teaches and we hold these things in tension as parallel because scripture does, even though it doesn't necessarily fully make sense to us, we are a hundred percent responsible for the response to the message of salvation. Right we are 100% responsible to believe and to repent from our sins and to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So God is 100% sovereign over that, meaning he is ordaining that, that he is, 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 has predestined, he is elected, and yet we are 100% responsible for the decision that we make whether or not we are going to trust Jesus. It seems like those two things don't work. Right. Is that, is that, am I feeling it right? If it feels like those are in opposition? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, 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 and y'all again, that's, that's where in it, in, even when I say it, it sounds like a cop out and I don't mean it to, I mean it to sound like a, it, just the humility that we should have here is God is God and we are not right. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Um, and, and, and praise God. That's true, because if we could explain everything there is to explain about God, he ceases to become God and becomes a figment of our imagination. Um, It's not our job. You mentioned being something being above our pay grade earlier, right? Mm -hmm. It's not our job to be able to explain, okay, how do those two things work? But it is our job to believe them. And 
you know, that second parallel that we're hundred percent responsible, man, that gives me encouragement and hope to share the gospel with my kids and call on them to trust in Jesus and not to say, okay, God, well, you know, at some point go ahead and, and flip the switch and activate their faith. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to implore like Paul does in second Corinthians five, that they be reconciled to God and, mm-hmm. and your loved ones and your neighbors and your coworkers keep going. And just if, if somebody rebuffs you or rejects you the first time, it doesn't mean they're not elect. It, it just means, Hey, that's not the moment. That's not the time in God's plan. You don't know when it will be. Again, George Mueller praying for 52 years before he died for one guy's salvation who ended up coming to faith after he died, right? God's plan was for him to be saved through, and and in part through George Mueller's efforts, through sharing the gospel and through the prayers that he prayed. But that wasn't going to be activated in that guy's life until after George Mueller died. So keep going, keep Keep sharing the gospel. Indeed. Uh, That's what we need to do. Not be frustrated with this. We need to be motivated by this. Yeah. Just one last super brief uh, section here at the end of chapter 10. Paul's just laying out here, look, they have heard, meaning he says that in verse 18, Israel has heard these things. He's reminding us that these promises are not brand new in the New Testament, but that they had already gone out. They've already heard about all of this that is there in the Old Testament. And he's calling on Israel to, uh, to repent and to believe. In verse 21, he says, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So the, the promise, the offer has been there. And yet Israel just has, has been rebellious and rejected it time and time again. It's sad. It is. It is sad. And, but yeah, but hopefully this has been more of an encouraging episode to you than yesterday's episode. It's getting better. It's, it's weighty. It's heavy. It's hard. These things are no doubt yet. There's such hope that we have that God has given us a part to play to say, Hey, go share the gospel with people. That's right. And we can trust him to activate that according to his plan. So go do that right now. Yep. And we'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the daily Bible podcast. See y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm